You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. On our podcast, the goal is not just to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon and talk about what we're learning and what God is doing in us and in our community. The sermon you're about to listen to comes from our fall 2023 sermon series, The God Who Rescues. In this series, we're walking with the Israelites from Egypt to Mount Sinai, looking at how God redeems and forms a people for himself. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. I remember the day that Meg and I were married. It was a Saturday early in June, the 3rd of June to be precise, uh, just three weeks after we graduated from Asbury College. We may have been 22, but uh, looking back, we were just babies. We were just babies. That day started out sunny and clear. Um, Max, do we have that picture, the first picture? The ones in my sermon notes. Yep, that one. Uh, So the day started out clear and sunny, but as the day went on, uh, clouds began to roll in, and in the hour or so before the wedding was to begin, it became very obvious that it was going to be raining when Meg and her bridesmaids were supposed to walk into the sanctuary. Only problem... Similar to our building here in Collingswood, in the church where we got married, there was no way for a woman dressed in a wedding dress to get from the back of the church where she was getting ready to the back of the sanctuary without going outside. So in an effort to stay out of the rain and not have her hair and her makeup and her dress get all wet and messed up, But while also wanting to preserve the big reveal that happens when the sanctuary doors open and the wedding march starts playing, Meg and her bridesmaids walked outside to the back of the church, around to the narthex, before the rain started. Go ahead, Max. And they waited behind the curtain of a coat closet for 45 minutes until the wedding ceremony was set to begin. The rest of the ceremony went off as planned and we stood in front of the altar before God and our family and our friends and we entered into that covenant relationship of marriage. And by God's grace and Meg's patience, 17 years later, we're still married. Now, this isn't just a cute story about the day that Meg and I got married, nor is it an excuse to get our wedding picture up on the screen, even though Jeremy didn't ask for ours a few weeks ago when he spoke about wedding vows. Um, But what is happening in the scripture passage that we read today from Exodus 19 is not unlike the preparation for a wedding ceremony that was about to take place. Israel and Yahweh entering into a covenant relationship where Yahweh was committing to be their God 
And Israel was committing to be God's people. You see, when God brought the people of Israel up out of the land of Egypt, using the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea as signs of his power and his ability to deliver them and rescue them, God wasn't just saving Israel from their bondage and their slavery in Egypt. God was keeping a covenant he had made before that, a covenant he had made with Abraham, and he was saving the people of Israel for himself, to be his very own people. This covenant that was about to be made between God and Israel which is spelled out in the next 11 or so chapters, beginning in, verse, in uh, Exodus 20 with what we know as the 10 commandments, but going all the way through Exodus 31 and, and including all kinds of stuff about how the, the tabernacle was to be constructed and the garments for the priests to wear and all the things about how the people of Israel were supposed to live. And this covenant, like a wedding, had massive implications for both sides who were entering into this covenant. Yahweh was committing himself to the people of Israel. And he was agreeing then to be represented in the world by the people of Israel. And Israel was agreeing to live according to Yahweh's instructions and submitting to his lordship over their lives. And these implications were all kind of intertwined together with one another. God was inviting Israel to be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation, as it said here in the text. They, they were to play a mediating role between God and the nations, right? And so if they were going to do that, if they were going to represent God to the nations. Israel's collective life together was going to need to look different than the world around it. It They were going to need to live in a different way than all the peoples around them. So as the people came to the foot of Mount Sinai that day, which is the same mountain as Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, right? Where God had encountered Moses from the burning bush and where he had promised that once Moses had led the people up out of Egypt, they would worship him on that mountain. Well, here they were, right? They had gotten there. God had gotten them there through the plagues, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. God had gotten them there to the mountain that he promised to get them to when he spoke Moses. And, and from this mountain, God invites them into this special relationship. Not because of anything they had done to deserve it. Not because of anything they had done to earn it. But because God is faithful to his promises. And he was being faithful to keeping his covenant with Abraham. So God comes and he says to the people through Moses that if they would keep his covenant and if they would obey his commands, he would be their God. If 
they would walk with him as their Lord. That meant they were going to have to live lives that looked different from the nations around them. God was calling them not just to live another version of the world, but with a different God at the top. Part of living in covenant with God meant living in a way that reflected the holy character of God. He was calling them to live in an alternative way of life so that the nations could come to know that same God that they were worshiping. The term we use to talk about this kind of set apart living, this kind of different living is consecration. Right? Consecration means to be set apart for God and to be set apart by God. See, Yahweh was offering his very presence to the people to live and dwell within their midst, to lead them and guide them as their God, to bless them and prosper them. But if the people... We're going to be able to dwell in God's presence, in the presence of a holy God. Then they were going to have to be holy as he is holy. They had to be washed and purified and they had to live then according to God's standard. Right. And so God, through Moses, calls for the people to consecrate themselves, to wash themselves, to get ready to meet with God. And once they had done that, his presence came. And God's presence came on on the mountain, it says, like a fire. And there was smoke and there was fire. And when God's presence descended on Mount Sinai, you know, fire is one of those, those elements that can cause great good. Right? It can purify things. It can strengthen things. But it can also cause great destruction because fire can also be consuming. Right? If you have a fire in a fire pit, it can be a very good thing. But if the fire gets outside of it, it can be death and destruction. But God came like a fire calling for his people to be purified and consecrated so he could enter into this covenant relationship with his people. Now, on this side of the incarnation and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we don't live according to that same covenant that God made with the people of Israel that day on Mount Sinai. But it was with this covenant in his mind that Jesus, on the night in which he gave himself up for us, inaugurated a new covenant. Not just with a certain people group and not just with a certain family, but with all who would put their faith and trust in him. And so the reality is that as the people, the covenant people of God today, We, the church, are now the ones whose lives are to be a reflection of God's nature and his character to the world around us. We are the ones 
who are called to live in such a way that the people around us see that there's something different about the way we live. That because of the way we live, they're drawn to know what is different and what the reason why is. We have an opportunity to point them to the redeeming and transforming power of Jesus. Now, throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament, the story is told of Israel's attempt to live according to the covenant that God was calling them into. But it's an up and down story, isn't it? Up and down story of of times when they were, were close to God, they were following God, and then after a while, they they felt this desire to become like the other nations. And they'd fall into worshiping the gods of the people around them. And then some kind of oppression or, or tragedy would come as a result of their rejection of God. And so they'd cry out to God. And because God is faithful to his covenant, even when we are unfaithful, God would answer and he would rescue them again. And the people would turn back to God for a time until the ways of the world started to look appealing again. And the cycle would go up and down all through the Old Testament. Unfortunately, I don't know that the church has been a whole lot better than the people of Israel has at this. I think the biggest failure of the church has come when we've given in to our desire to be considered respectable by the culture around us. But friends, we haven't been called to live lives that look like a baptized version of the culture around us. We've been called to live lives that offer the possibility of another truer way to live. Lives that reflect the holiness of God. Lives that point to something beyond ourselves. Lives that are oriented to and and reference something outside of ourselves. Because everywhere we look in the world, the world's telling us, just look inside, find your truth. We're called to live with our lives oriented around God, our lives held to the standard he set for us. And so here's the invitation today. As we prepare to participate in communion with Christ at the table of the new covenant, which is in his blood. And I want to challenge you to really work through this, really pray through this, think it through before you come to receive the bread and the cup this morning. Who's setting the standard for the way you live your life? Does the way you live look more like the world around us or more like Jesus, the God who rescues us? And and that doesn't mean just showing up to worship a few times a month. Would someone looking at your life Monday through Saturday be able to recognize that you live in this world as a citizen of another kingdom? 
Would they be able to tell there's something different about you by the way you live your life? Because entering into a covenant isn't just a one-time event. It is a one-time event, but it's not just a one-time event. We have to live into the reality of that covenant day by day and moment by moment until it touches every facet of our lives. And then we have to continue to live there. Because there's no such thing as being 90% consecrated. You either are or you're not. The invitation this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, is to reaffirm that covenant that he has made with us. The covenant that he has been faithful to, even when we have been our most unfaithful. He invites us to come.